the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good Wednesday afternoon. I hope you're having a good Wednesday after all. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Welcome to the show. This is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions about anything and everything that's on your heart. Bible questions, life questions, church questions, why we believe or what we believe. I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just push call now uh, at the top of your screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Wednesday, we have our Old Testament Bible study tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can watch that live at calvarysa.com. If you are in the area, we'd love to have you stop by. Wednesdays are not a crowded night, so we have lots of room. We'd love to see you tomorrow. Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Uh, Ladies, a day especially set aside for you. If uh, you need any encouragement at all, she will be here to provide it. Let me go right to the phones. We've got an anonymous caller on line one. Anonymous from San Antonio, you're on the air. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I, want, I have a question uh, that I like the uh, like an answer to. Okay, I am a I am a Christian, and I was told by several different people that you know God has a plan for everyone's life. And uh, my question is, I believe He has a plan for my life. My question is, how does God reveal His plan for your life, and how does He prepare you for it? I listen to the radio for your comment. Thank you, Anonymous. That is one of the best questions I've ever had in this program. Um, let me go back a little bit in my own history. When I first got saved, I was almost 40 years old, and and it was just one of those things. I you know, I was a planner. I needed to have a plan. I needed to know what direction I was going. Uh, I thought if God had a plan for my life, as everybody told me he had, he would just lay it out before me. Um, But he doesn't do that. What God does is he draws you into a relationship. And then how you nurture that relationship, how much you invest in that relationship, depends on how much, how quickly, and how completely he reveals his will for your life. Now, as much as we would like for God to say, okay, here's where you're going to be in five years, and here's where you're going to be in ten years. And I don't mean to sound like an athlete answering questions on a, on an interview with with a bunch of cliches, but literally the way to find the will of God is to day by day follow Jesus. 
if I get up today and I walk with Jesus, then tomorrow I can't miss his will for me. And I think because so many of us as humans are are really focused on that long-term will of God, we miss out on the joy and the passion of, of just being available to him each and every day. And so the way God reveals his will to you is as you open your Bible, as you read it, and I, I, I'm, I mean to read systematically. I don't mean just open your Bible and read something. But to read systematically, start at the beginning of a book and read to the end of it. You don't have to do it all in one setting. But God will begin speaking to your heart. He'll begin giving you gifts, and, and then you'll use those gifts. As you use those gifts for his glory, uh, he will give you some direction with those gifts. And for me, Anonymous, it was pretty straightforward. I um, um, I just spent as much of all day, every day as I possibly could with the Lord. Uh, I would dream about him when I would when I would go to sleep. Uh, when I went to dinner or went to lunch, there was there was a place set for Jesus, and I I just wanted to talk to him. And I was saved about six months. He told me my calling was to be a pastor. I had no idea what that meant. Uh, I, I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't know what pastors did, really. Uh, I saw them in the churches that I was attending, but but it was never something that occurred to me it would affect my life personally. And, um, you know, I made some bad decisions at the beginning. I figured, okay, God, you want me to be a pastor? I'm going to be a pastor today. We started doing Bible studies. And uh, honestly, I'm sure they were the worst Bible studies ever. But but the point is, is that Jesus took me by the hand and walked me right into this place that he has for my life. Now, it's no doubt that he has a plan for every life. Our job is discovering that plan every single day and having the confidence in him not in ourselves, but in him. Not even in a plan that we like, but just having confidence in him to know that we can't possibly miss his will for our lives. I think the cry of every new Christian anonymous is, oh God, I want to be in your will. How can I know I'm in your will? And the answer is just be with him today and you know without any doubt you're in his will. And then tomorrow you do the same thing. What will happen is you'll wake up in three or four years and you'll be in places doing things that you never dreamed possible. And it will all seem so natural. I remember when the Lord spoke to our hearts, mine and Paula's, about coming to San Antonio, Texas. Um, We'd never been here before. And coming here seemed like the dumbest thing ever. Uh, we, we We didn't have any affinity at all for Texas. But Jesus said to me, he said, that's where I'll be waiting for you. And I knew that meant as soon as I was done with Bible college, by this time I knew I was in Bible college, that was his plan. As soon as I was done with Bible college, I mean literally, when I was done, we started planning to go. Um, we got in a truck and we drove to San Antonio, Texas, where we'd never been before. And where we didn't know anybody. And we just kept doing here what we were doing there, telling people about Jesus, uh, looking for opportunities to witness. We were studying the Bible. Paul and I were together. And the Lord gives you more and more information. Again, I think one of the enemies of finding God's plan is that we want to know it all. And God only tells us what we're able to understand, what we're able to hear. So if you want to find out what God's plan for your life is, Be serious about your Bible. Spend time with the Lord, talking to him, walking with him, however it is that you do it. Uh, Be a man of prayer. Be active in sharing your faith with other people. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be given to you, and, and you'll be in positions you never dreamed possible. The one thing we can't do is expect that God is going to tell us everything Because when we want to know what the future holds, the real reason, if we're honest, the real reason we want to know is so that we can say no to it if we don't like it. It never occurred to me to say no to God calling me to be a pastor. It never occurred to me that I had a choice. And what I can tell you and everybody else listening to this program is that whatever God has for you is without a doubt the place you want to be. 
even if you don't know what that is, even if you're terrified of what that is. But it's just literally one day at a time. Can I say one other thing before we go on with other questions? Um, the best example of how this relationship with Jesus works, um, I've shared my relationship with Paula. We've been together for 49 years. And uh, the day we met, instantly we fell in love. Same, same as my relationship with Jesus. The day I met him, February of 1991, I fell in love with him. Well, when Paula and I met, she opened the door. We fell in love, and we've been together ever since. People say, well, love at first sight, that's not real. It sure was for us. And yet, as much as I was crazy about her, it was awkward to talk to her because we didn't know each other very well. So what we would do, I would leave her house. Her mom would kick me out. I'd drive to my house, which was 12 miles away. And I'd get on the phone, not like a cell phone. I mean, we had a phone that was in the kitchen with a big long cord on it. And I'd sit up and talk to her until we fell asleep. And every time we spoke, it became just a little bit easier. When we shared our hearts with one another, conversation was less forced and became um, friendlier. And then our love, because we started to know each other, because the relationship was developing, our love became richer and richer and over the years deeper and deeper. That's exactly the way our relationship with Jesus is developed. Awkward at first. Most of the time when you first say, we don't even know how to pray, we think we're going to do our own. But all we have to do is just spend time hanging out with him, talking to him. And for me, personally anonymous, the thing that has enriched my life the most are my long walks or my times out running, doing exercise with Jesus. I know his voice, not audible, but you understand what I'm saying. And when you know that voice, then you can hear it and follow it. And then when you're obedient to what you do know he wants you to do, then he gives you more information. And all we have to do is obey, obedient. So if we're obedient, we'll find out as well. Very, very great question. Thank you very much. I appreciate your calls uh, here recently. You're a new caller, and uh, I can hear your heart in him. Thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that was sent in uh, from Manny. Uh, he says, Revelation 9.4 says that those who were sealed could not be harmed by the plague of locusts. Who are those that are sealed? If people become Christians during the Great Tribulation, will they be spared the plague of locusts? Um, Manny, the, the, the people that are sealed are pretty clear. You go back to Revelation chapter 7, the end of the chapter, and it says the 12,000 Jewish witnesses from each of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, the 144,000, they're the ones who are sealed. Now, they're sealed, invincible, because the enemy and 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 um, the, the enemies of God are going to try to kill them, but they can't. And the reason they can't is because they've got a job to do that's going to last through the end of the Great Tribulation. So God's protecting them. It's like they're walking around in bubble wrap and, and, and nothing uh, harmful or nothing evil can get two of them. And they're going to travel all over the world. And, and those 144,000 witnesses will lead the greatest revival uh, in human history. By far. Now, for the rest of the people who get saved during the Great Tribulation, they're not going to be spared. Most of them that we're told in Revelation will, will actually lose their lives for their faith. They won't take the mark of the beast. Uh, they will be persecuted and and uh, and and their heads will be be cut off. Uh, so so the people that convert to Christianity during the Great Tribulation will not be spared temporally, but they will of course be saved and spared eternally. And though late to the party, they will be with Jesus. So uh, I hope that answers your question. It's one hundred forty-four thousand who are sealed. Imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls 
running around the earth. My goodness. And then uh, with Christians who get saved, when they lose their life, uh, we see them in the book of Revelation under the altar, crying out, How long, O Lord, until our blood is avenged? And the Lord speaks to their hearts and says, Just a little bit longer. And of course, we know that will occur uh, at the end of the Great Tribulation. Good question, Manny. Thank you very, very much. Uh, here is another Revelation question. Anonymous says, When Jesus comes on the clouds, does that mean only our spirits are going to be are going to meet Jesus in the cloud, and not like the left behind books? I know those are just their imagination of what they perceive of the rapture. Since it's just our spirits going up to meet him, um, that means they're going to leave a nasty stench on the earth, isn't it? Do you think it'll hurt when we leave our bodies behind? Um, some of the, the writing in your question was a little hard to understand, so I think I got it pretty much the. the the context. Um, the, the cloud, when we're talking about clouds, John is describing a vision. So when Jesus comes on the clouds, he's coming from the clouds. It doesn't mean he's coming on the clouds. It certainly doesn't mean that we are the cloud. We are going to be with him in our glorified, resurrected bodies, and uh, we will return to this earth to rule and reign with Jesus for the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that only our spirits are going to meet Jesus in the air. Um, When we meet Jesus in the air, we're going to be transformed. And by that I mean we're going to be changed. We will not all sleep. That means die. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. Transformed. And uh, as soon as we, the rapture of the church occurs, and we go to be with Jesus, uh, we will receive a body that is fit for eternity. And that's our glorified, resurrected bodies, our physical glorified, resurrected bodies. Um, And uh, we will be with him and we will be like him. And then when we come back with him, um, we're going to, in our glorified, resurrected bodies, as I said, rule and reign with him. Now, I'm not sure what you mean and not like the Left Behind books, other than to say the eschatology of the Left Behind series is pretty good. Now, there's a lot of dramatic license and and um, um, that's to be understood. These are, are, are fiction books. Um, but the theology is pre-mill, pre-trib, and, and pretty consistent with what the Bible declares about the last days. So um, we're going to be called up to meet Jesus in the air. And when we are with Jesus in the air, uh, then and, and, and only then will we receive our glorified, resurrected bodies. As to the stench on the earth, um, remember that the Great Tribulation is judgment, and this, the, the stench of death will be everywhere. And so when our flesh and blood bodies are left behind, then certainly, um, and, until they're cleaned up and disposed of, uh, yeah, they will decay and there will be a stench. But remember, that's all part of the judgment. That's all part of the judgment of the Great Tribulation. So, And then, then the final question is, do you think it will hurt when we leave our bodies behind? The answer to that one, I can tell you for sure, anonymous, is no. Uh, it will be the most glorious moment any of us can imagine. I keep waiting for that moment I see our world falling farther and farther apart. And all I can think about is, oh, Lord. Come quickly. Come quickly. You know, as Paul and I get a little bit older, we um, we have this conversation. We talk about these things. Uh, uh, who's going to go first? And what's the other one going to do? And how are we going to, to kind of work through our mourning and our grief? Um, Paula says, oh, no, I'm going first. And, and I keep saying, no, I'll probably go first. You're much healthier than I am. Um but but the idea is when we leave these bodies, that's the goal of our salvation. We'll be with Jesus. So I hope that answers your question, Anonymous. Let's go to our next question. It is from our email inbox. This one is from Jaden. When I'm having a conversation with non-believers and they ask me a question about the Bible, 
that I don't know the answer to. What should I do or say? There's a wonderful question, Jaden. Um, the first thing, let me be, I'll get very direct. Learn. If you're asked a question you don't know, you dig into your Bibles and find out the answers. But when you're talking to somebody, and I realize that's the context of your question, um, when somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer, tell them, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I think a lot of damage has been done by people pretending they know all the answers and trying to fake it when they realize they don't really know the answers. Uh, it's it's much easier just to say, I don't know. You know, I've been doing this program now for how many years? Seven years. And uh, I've had to say, I don't know, a few times. Um, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. But when you say, I don't know... And then you follow it with, you know what, I will get you an answer. And then we're diligent to find that answer and communicate with that the, the person who asked. Then that gives us a whole lot of credibility. So it's really important that we find out what the answers to the questions are. And by the way, Jaden, this is a, a question um, that, that all of us should, should deal with every day. We should be so hungry to know the Word of God backwards and forwards. We should know it um, and be really eager to dig in. Um, Not for other people, but for ourselves. We need to get the questions that are floating around in our own mind that we don't have the answers to. We need to get answers to those questions. And as you really dig in, the Holy Spirit pours more and more of himself out on you and then through you, and then you'll have answers. You know, David said that I have hidden his word in my heart so that I may not sin against him. Well, I would add that if you hide the word in his heart, in your heart, by that I mean memorization, or just putting it in, you put it in, you put it in, there are going to be a lot of times when somebody, uh, these are divine appointments, somebody will ask you a question, and you'll think you don't know the answer, and it'll come pouring out of you. And those are always, always wonderful opportunities, because you, you're sharing in, in a little mini miracle right there, and a question you didn't know the answer to, suddenly you've got this stuff coming out of your mouth and you wonder where it came from and God just smiles at you and you experience that smile. So that is a great question. Don't ever fake it and don't ever pretend like you know more than you do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a question from Caleb on our mobile app. It says, what are the dispensations Caleb, I'm going to get you the answer to this one on Friday uh, because I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know what there. There's seven major dispensations. Now, dispensationalism um, is a a, a hermeneutic. It's, it's, we are, I am a dispensationalist. It just means that God works with different people in different ways at different times in history. A quick example, he gave Moses the dispensation of law. When Jesus came, we were freed from that dispensation and we had the dispensation of what we call grace, the new covenant. So the dispensations, there's seven of them. Uh, again, they're, they're spread out. Uh, and I'll get you the, the answer on Friday. My producer's making a note. And I'll be able to tell you exactly what they are. Here's where you have to be careful. Like any really good Bible tool, dispensationalism uh, is abused, taken advantage of. And they're hyper-dispensationalists, which take things way too far, get beyond, they'll find nine different dispensations in the book of Acts. And that's nonsense. That's, that's simply not true. Um, there's a guy named Les Feldick who does this, and, and others uh, that, that, that have garnered a following. Um, um, dispensationalism is the only way we can make sense of the Bible in context. It's the way that we can read the Old Testament and say that um, the Bible um, um, is speaking in the Old Testament to Jews about the promises of God to his people. They're not promises to the church. Now, some of them principally or generally we can apply. But when God is speaking, for example, in the Ten Commandments, he's not speaking to you. He's not speaking to me. He's speaking to his people, Israel, before Jesus came and fulfilled the law. So, Different ways. Jesus himself was a dispensationalist. There's some wonderful passages, and I'll deal with that on the Friday program, Caleb, when I uh, go through the dispensations with you. 
Good, good question. We are coming pretty close to the end of the break. How we are? We're inside two minutes now. Let me get a quick question. I can do this one quickly. It's from Rachel. She says, Pastor Ron, should an unbeliever be allowed to play or sing on a worship team? Rachel, if that happens in your church, it's no longer worship. Worship is not performing, and I think we misunderstand that way too often. Worship is singing out of a joyful and a holy heart to the Lord. An unbeliever can't do that. So the answer is never, ever, 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 ever should we let an unbeliever be permitted to be on a stage in a worship team. Worship is a powerful tool, and if you corrupt it, then people are going to be... um, it's that simple. Uh, there was a, a commercial that came on over a famous singer who was singing gospel hymns, and somebody said, "Do you want to listen to that?" And I said, "No, I don't want to listen to an unbeliever sing Jesus' song." So never, ever, ever, Rachel. Hey, we've got thirty minutes left in the Wednesday program. We'd love your live calls and questions three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven. 630 KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second 30 minutes of our program today, 340-9585. Let's go right to the phones and talk with Jeff from San Antonio on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have to restrain myself from calling you every day. So, <laughs> I hope you don't mind me calling about once a week. I'm going to try to limit it. No problem. Uh, okay, two quick questions. Uh, cremation and the Christian. And the second comment is I've been to several churches now that are putting offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary, and it's no longer really like an act of worship during the service. And also I uh, attended a, another church recently that had the communion set up in the back of the sanctuary, and the pastor said, no, it's more of a private thing. Just stop by if you want to, you know, break bread and uh, do it there in the back. So uh, I'll, I'll take your comments off the radio or off the phone. Thank Thank you, you. Jeff. Appreciate it very, very much. You can call anytime you want to. Um, uh, A couple of things. Uh, Cremation is simple. Um, What we do with these old bodies when we, uh, when the real us, the spirit that inhabits these bodies, goes to be with Jesus and receives our new body, and that's what happens the minute we take our last breath, we instantly go in the presence of the Lord. I'm uh, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow night and Friday morning. It's kind of a two-part thing. Um, and it's so comforting to know that this this lady, Kuka, that we asked you to pray about, we've been, we've been sharing our hearts. Um, our hearts are broken. But our 92-year-old sweetheart left that old, broken body and instantly was in the presence of the Lord. So the old tent has no value at all. So cremation is not only perfectly fine, um, uh, it doesn't make any difference at all. I used to tease Paula, just bury me out in the backyard, just do something, because it doesn't matter won't matter to me at all what happens when I'm with Jesus in this old body. It's sort of like an old car that gets so messed up and so junked up that all you want to do is leave it. And um, that's exactly what our old bodies are going to be like. So cremation is fine. Burial is fine. I think, Jeff, one of the things that we've done in our culture, and sadly it's kind of extended in church cultures, we become so superstitious about death that we just do uh, what everybody has been doing. And, um, you know, uh, if, if we um, are buried, um, it, it takes roughly 39 years to return to dust. If we are cremated, it takes 39 minutes. It's a lot 
cheaper. I, as a pastor, it breaks my heart to see people spending so much money on funerals, on burials, because nothing matters. It needs just to be a celebration of life. So cremation is fine. And just for your information, Jeff, um, cremation is what is it, Paul and I are going to do when when we uh, no longer inhabit these bodies. It, it simply doesn't make a difference. I've had people ask about donating their bodies to, to science. That's a noble thing to do. It, it just doesn't matter what they do to your body. So that's one of the things that we need to, to consider. Um, Paul and I are hopeful that we can both be cremated and the whole service, everything done for less than $500 a piece. It just doesn't make sense to spend any money on these old bodies. Uh, regarding the, the offering boxes, we do that, Jeff, here at Calvary Chapel. The Lord has been very specific with us telling us never let our be, needs be known, um, never to ask people for money to, 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 uh, to, to make them feel guilty or compel them to give. And in, in this, just for us, it's not doesn't mean people that do this are wrong, but just for us, he's asked us to trust him completely. So we don't even mention it during our services. We have offering boxes in the, bank of the back of the sanctuary and in our foyer. And um, by now, the people in the church know where to give and how to give. And the idea is don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, when when a, when a, a bucket is passed or a hat is passed or a, a bag is passed, um, th- there's this implied pressure to give. And um, I, I don't think that's any greater an act of worship than somebody walking by an offering box and saying, Jesus, thank you for the privilege of giving to you, giving to your work. So, um, worship is is uh, always um, increased. Uh, our passion increases when we're doing it just because we're grateful. So whether you put in a box privately or you put in a bag that goes by during uh, an offertory song, um, as long as your heart is right with God, it is an act of worship and really doesn't make any difference. Now, communion, I feel very strongly, Jeff, that communion... It's a time when the family comes together at a table. Uh, I realize that in some cases, especially with really large churches, uh, communion becomes cumbersome in terms of just the amount of time it takes. Uh, but I don't care how much time it takes. We, we partake of communion here at Calvary Chapel the first Sunday of every month, and we ask people to hold the elements as they're being passed around so that we can uh, partake together as a church family. And uh, we want everybody to take the time while the elements are being passed out um, to, to pray, to talk to Jesus, to confess sin if necessary, uh, to be grateful and thank him for all that he's done. And that is why communion should be done within the confines of a body. I think it's a little bit lazy to um, just put the, the, the elements out there and leave people on their own. In fact, Jeff, I give a, a, a clear explanation about what communion is, that it's a family celebration, it's not for unbelievers, because I want people to really appreciate it. Now, occasionally, uh, we'll do this on on um, uh, Good Friday, we'll do this on uh, Christmas Eve services, um, we'll, we'll have what we call family-style communion, and we will put it out, so when the service is over, We'll put it out in the back somewhere or in the front, two different places so people can get to it so that they can come by with their families and take communion. I love seeing uh, husbands and fathers uh, give communion to their to their families. Uh, single moms give communion to their kids. Uh, but it's a chance for the, the, the whole family to, to, to rally around the table and do that. But we only do it on special Friday night or holiday occasions and very, very rarely, I think maybe two and sometimes three times a year. Um, um, but the first Sunday every month is Communion Sunday. Let me say one other thing, Jeff, and this isn't me bragging. This is how important communion is to me. Uh, I've been the pastor of this church from the very beginning, 24 and a half years. I've never missed a Communion Sunday. After my surgery, I came here to be with my family on Communion Sunday. And uh, that's how important it is 
to me, and I hope it's that important to all the people that call Calvary Chapel the church home. But um, regarding a, an act of worship, um, I, I think there are some times when our worship is governed by what the Word says and, and, and less by how we feel. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for the call. And like I said, you can call anytime. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that's been sent in by Danny. He says, Pastor Ron, would you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how we get it? Danny, I'd be happy to. Um, the key to, to the, the baptism of the Spirit, and by this I don't mean when we get saved, the Spirit of God comes within us. The Spirit lives in us, uh, a seal guaranteeing uh, our inheritance. But when... Uh, Danny's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The other time, in other words, people said it's filled with the Spirit or empowered by the Spirit. Uh, the way we get that, Danny, is by being obedient. This is another area where the church has failed um, Christians for just too long. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like all we have to do is sit around and wait to get goosebumps and we got the Spirit or wait to pray in tongues or wait to shake and bounce. None of that is being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And so no obedience, there's no power. And the fact that, that one time you got filled with the Spirit, sometimes that first time when the Spirit comes upon us, it can be very emotional, it can be almost ecstatic, uh, it, it can be, um, uh, in, in my particular case, uh, I cried um, I, I, I was just overwhelmed with a sense of God's love for me and his passion for me. I have a, a man in the church who honestly has been around our church for probably 12 years and just was never walking the walk. He kept coming to church and his family was coming to church with him, um, but, but he just wasn't really invested. And it wasn't too long ago, a few months ago, he called and asked me for a meeting and he said, basically, I don't know what's happened to me, but I just love Jesus so much, I just can't stop praising him, I can't stop crying, and I, I just want to serve him every minute of every day. And he said, what's happened to me? And I said, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. And you should have seen his face light up. And so th- that's what it is. when it's, it's Jesus pouring out more of himself on you. And every time we obey him, he's going to follow with that, supernatural power from heaven. Now remember, it's not power to give us goosebumps. It's not power to speak in tongues or anything like that. It's the power to do what he's told us to do. And we get it by simply obeying what we know he's already told us. Danny, if the Bible says, husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. I don't even know if you're married, but if you're married and you're not putting your wife's needs ahead of your own, you're not being obedient. And there won't be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. God loves you. He sealed you. But the power of God won't be available. If the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. If you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, then there's no power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're angry and unkind there's no spirit in your life. So, Danny, getting it is just a matter of being obedient and God, taking God at his word, he pours himself out at you. Final thought here. And if you go to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, uh, you will see what it means not to be filled with the spirit. It'll describe the kind of life that you'll be living. Go to verse 22. And it talks about the kind of life that will be characteristic of, of your walk with Jesus when you're being led by the Spirit, when you're being filled by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. But if those things are characteristic in your life, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you continue walking, demonstrating that kind of fruit, then the Holy Spirit's presence is going to be obvious to everyone in your life. The baptism of the Spirit is not for excitement. It's not for, for goosebumps. It's not for show. It's not to act crazy and run around a church. Uh, it's to obey 
Jesus Christ? Good question. Here is a question from Jordan. He says, what does it mean in Hebrews 12 when it says to throw off everything that hinders? Let me read the passage, Jordan, of the verse, and then we'll, we'll, uh, I'll talk about it. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that doesn't mean people looking at us, Jordan. It means people who have witnessed to us of the faithfulness of God. And that, of course, is a direct reference to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the passage of Scripture we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, they are witnesses to us of God's faithfulness. They're not witnessing or watching us. That's really important. Since they trusted God, since God did great things in them, then he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, throwing off everything that hinders. That's, uh, it's, it's a broad range of things, Jordan. Um, if you've got friends, old friends from before you were saved, and they're dragging you down instead of you pulling them up. Now, it's okay to have friends, for sure, who aren't saved, but you ought to be a positive influence on them. If you find yourself hanging out with them and you're being tempted to do the things that you know you shouldn't do, well, that's hindering your walk. So you've got to say goodbye to those old friends. If you're walking around feeling guilty about the things that you did in the past, You've got to throw that guilt off because that guilt is hindering your walk with the Lord. If you have a, a bad habit using, using foul language, that's hindering your walk with God. You've got to throw it off. Just get rid of it. And um, it could be people in your family, people that are making it impossible for you to walk with Jesus. Uh, sometimes you've got to say no to them so you can say yes to Jesus. If they don't like it, then this verse would apply to you. You know, you're hindering my walk. I'm, I'm going to hang around people. Go to Jesus. Um, give you another example, Jordan. Let's say you've got a, a job that requires that you work every Sunday and you can't get to church. Now, God gets it, but if, if you not getting to church is hindering your walk, then you've got to throw off that job, find something else. Let God bless you abundantly. So it's really important. You know, Jordan, a good example of that last uh, uh, illustration is Chick-fil-A. Uh, Chick-fil-A as a corporation uh, is by far, by far, by far, by far, the most successful fast food outlet uh, in the world. And um, on a day that would mean huge, huge, huge sale numbers for them, Sunday, they have chosen to honor God by closing on Sunday. The, the, the president and CEO, the founder of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, is a committed believer. And um, he just said, God, we're going to let our people go worship. We're going to take the day of rest, as, as your word says that we ought. And, um, and God has really, really blessed them. So they've thrown off that one day. Uh, they just recently... Uh, um, became the title sponsor of the new football um, stadium in Atlanta, which is their home base. It's Chick-fil-A Stadium. Well, guess what? NFL games are played on Sundays. The Chick-fil-A restaurants in that stadium are closed on Sunday. Right? Because that's honoring God, and God has really abundantly blessed them. So there's all kinds of things that hinder our walk with the Lord. Uh, get rid of everything. It's like trying to run a 100-yard meter or 100-meter race in the Olympics carrying a bowling ball. Uh, you got to get rid of the bowling ball if you're going to win the race. So, Jordan, that's what it means to throw up everything that hinders. It is really an important principle. And, of course, it's followed by the sin that so easily entangles. Um, imagine running that race. You throw up the bowling ball, but you're still all tangled up because of there's sin in your life that you refuse to deal with. Uh, you're going to fall down. You're not going to get very far. So, in other words, unencumber your walk with the Lord to be sure that you have available access to the power that raised Christ from the dead. Good question. Uh, an anonymous question. In fact, I've got two anonymous questions in a row. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is your opinion on birth control being used within a marriage? Um Anonymous, I don't have an opinion. It's okay. The Bible doesn't control that. If you want to plan a family and 
and uh, you want to exercise uh, your right to use birth control. God is not against it. Um, the, the exception, of course, would be abortive birth control. And there is birth control that, that, that stops um, um, or that, that after impregnation destroys the fetus. Uh, so that's certainly not acceptable. But, but using birth control, the Bible's silent on it. You can use birth control all you want. Uh, I would only say this, Anonymous, and this is just me wanting nothing but the fullness of God's blessings in your life. When married people are using birth control, my hope would be, and I talk about this in premarriage counseling all the time, my hope would be that the husband and the wife would consult God before making those decisions. When I ask people in pre-marriage counseling all the time, I say, okay, so you plan on having kids? I just want to see kind of where their heart is. Well, we're not going to have kids for a couple of years or, or a few years until we get settled, so we have some time for ourselves. And while that may sound really, really good, what if God wanted to bless you with kids? And that's what I tell them. I said, you know what? Just promise me that you'll say, Lord, you're the one who's in control of my reproductive ability. You're the one who knows what we need. And you know how to bless. And then seek the Lord in prayer. Is birth control okay? If it's okay, he'll tell you it's okay. If it's not, then let God bless you. One of those young couples is a young man uh, who teaches here at the, at the, the academy and he and his wife are now pregnant. And you've never seen more excited kids. Now, the kids to me, they're, they're adults, but you've never seen more excited kids um, because God is blessing with this baby. Uh, I'm in another family in church just this past week who has um, a 17 and an 18-year-old, and they introduced me to a 2-year-old. <laughs> and uh, I, I just smiled at him and, and just thought, God's blessing, huh? And the dad who was holding this little girl said, oh, you have no idea. I said, you would never have thought that before you were pregnant, huh? No, we thought we were done and our kids were growing up. Um, but now you should see the smile on his face. So um, just be a man who prays, a woman who prays, not making decisions according to what seems right to you, but instead based on what God wants for you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're inside five minutes now, so if you're going to call, call pretty quickly. Here is the second anonymous question. Uh, why does God deny us free will by making us keep a bunch of rules instead of letting us just do what feels right to us? Well, your question is sort of self-contradictory. Uh, because you are exercising your free will to do what you want to do. And God gave you that free will. He didn't compel your choice. Now, what he does say to you, Anonymous, is that you can exercise your free will, but you can't escape the consequences of making the wrong choices. So you're saying he denies your free will, I, I assume, by by holding hell out over your head, like, okay, if you, if you don't follow me, you're going to burn in hell forever. Um, but, but certainly the rules that he's given you are good for you. Because this is a God who loves you. And Jesus, as clearly as he can, says, please use your free will to choose to come to me. Then there's something else that you find out, Anonymous. You know, the things that you thought were rules are liberating instead. They're not restrictive. They're not, uh, it's not that God is trying to spoil all your fun by giving you a bunch of do's and don'ts. He comes to live in you and changes everything about you. And when he changes you, he gives you new desires in your heart. But you can do what you want to do. You simply cannot escape the consequences of those poor choices. If you want to be independent from Jesus in this life, he will honor that request in eternity. 
and we're all going to live somewhere forever. We choose to be with Jesus, we call that heaven, or we choose to be without Jesus, we call that hell. And all you have to do is make the choice, and you have the free will to do it. Last question for today. Here's Adam. He says, if I fall in love with an unbeliever, can I marry her in hopes of converting her? Um, famous last words, Adam. Oh, no, I know if I, if I date her, if I date him, uh, I'll get him saved, and then we'll be happy forever. It, it just doesn't happen. And when it does happen, and it occasionally does, Adam, it happens after a long, long, painful period of time. So the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So, you know, while it's possible for sure to fall in love with an unbeliever, you have to say no to you. And in so doing, you're choosing Jesus. And I've had a bunch of people who started to form a relationship and one or the other of them said, look, we can't do this anymore unless you become born again. I'm going to serve God. And, and my husband or my wife is going to serve God. So if you're not going to do that, then we're done. And I've seen people get saved as a result of that stand that was taken. But very rarely does somebody ever get saved by compromising God's word. So I, I understand easy to get emotional with somebody, to fall in love with somebody. But you've already said you love Jesus. And what Jesus said is be together with a believer. Be together with a believer. Hope that helps. Thank you, Adam. Hey, good show today. Thank you for your questions, for your calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, please keep us in prayer. Tomorrow and Friday, we have the funeral for Kuka. And God bless you all for your prayers tonight. Uh, I'll be teaching from the Old Testament here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Paul live in studio tomorrow. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.